VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm excited because in the studio this week, we're joined by Alison Rudd, Rory K. Smith and James Scowcroft. Coming up, we're going to be looking into the world of the loan system, touching on some of Greg Dyke's recent views. Plus, we'll be picking events at the King Power Stadium. I never tire of saying King Power Stadium. And well, obviously, we'll be running through your favorite part of the show, Quick Hits. But first, let's talk City and Chelsea. Milner, shown inside by Schuller. Back for Silva. A clipped over the top here for Milner. And it's Lampard! The man who scored more goals for Chelsea than anyone else in history now equalises against them with barely five minutes remaining. The lack of celebration excusable. All right, going into this game, there was a whole business in midweek where even though they might deny it, I think both Chelsea and City clearly took their foot off the gas in the Champions League. Obviously, Diego Costa didn't start. To me, it kind of made sense because in the Champions League, you can kind of, you know, six games. If you're City, you can budget for a loss at at Bayern, which is what happened. If you were Chelsea, you can budget for not beating Schalke, although you'd expect to beat Schalke even with uh, Diego Costa on the bench. Roy, as uh, as one of those sort of um, Europhiles, were you a little bit disappointed that uh, that it was just a show of disrespect towards the Champions League, or is this just the reality of of football, that this game was more important because you know, it could have meant Chelsea could have opened up an eight-point lead or City could have cut it to two. Well, I mean, Mourinho said that he didn't so much rest Costa for the City game against Schalke. It was more that Costa can't play three games in a week. So I, it, I don't think it was res- disrespectful towards the Champions League. And I also think that Chelsea and City both expect to get through their Champions League groups. And, yeah, I guess City maybe thought that they had to use the squad against Bayern to try and get a draw. But the fact they lost 1-0 is not a disaster. Chelsea should have been able to beat Schalke with a second-choice team out, no question about that. And this was, this, this was the first real sort of, not title decider, but sort of title clash of the season. So it was understandable that there was an element of focus on this one, I think. No, I think that the Champions League will, will survive the blow to its reputation. Now, City equalised with a late, late goal from uh, Frank Lampard Jr. He didn't celebrate. He got extremely choked up. James, you know where uh, uh, you know where this is going now because I've asked the question to you. Did you ever score against your former club? By the way, I already know the answer to this question. <laughs> I did actually. Um, my debut for Crystal Palace was at Portman Road, opening day of the season, and we won two one. And I was fortunate enough to get the winning goal. 
And obviously Ipswich wasn't just one of your past clubs. It was obviously a club that meant a lot to you. Yeah, it's a main club. It was where it's an area where I was brought up, came through the academy. Did I celebrate? Yes, I did celebrate. You know, and I think maybe Frank Lampard was a little bit of an exception yesterday because you know Chelsea, what he stands for Chelsea, arguably Chelsea's greatest ever player. He had a great time there, and I'm sure Chelsea does mean a lot to him. But I'm absolutely convinced deep inside he'd be absolutely delighted to have scored yesterday. And any player that you see that scores against his old club and doesn't celebrate is, I think they do it for a little bit of attention. The, the more muted the celebration now, it's almost like... It's embarrassing. There's, a, there's like an arms race to see who can be the most muted in their celebration. It, it just feels, I, I always think it is slightly risky towards in, in your new club's fans. Did you sort of, sort of say, oh, I didn't want to upset them, sorry. So what, are you not trying to score? Of course you're trying to score. <laughs> It's a goal. Celebrate it. I, I, Lampard is a little bit different because he, you know, he does have this, this sort of association with Chelsea. But they wouldn't give him a contract. There must have been part of him that thought, well, there you go, there you go, lads. That's maybe why you should have kept me. There must have been part of him that thought that. Oh, definitely. I, I think he would have been any any player, manager, whatever. When you leave your club, naturally, you don't want your team that you've left to get better. You, you want them to, and that's human nature. And I've experienced it myself. People say, oh, I've got a soft spot for them, always look out for them. It's absolute nonsense. You know, there, there'll be players that move around the game that'll be looking at their old clubs and go, oh, I hope they don't do well because it makes me look a better player when I've left. But it's interesting because there are a lot of players who play against the club they supported as a boy and they might not have played for that club. So you had Alex Song playing for West Ham against Liverpool, and he'll say before the match, Liverpool mean a lot to me. They're the reason I love football. I grew up being a Liverpool fan. But he he will not... We don't expect him, if he was to score, to have a muted celebration. We don't expect him to play any differently. So why on earth would we, do we therefore expect a player who didn't grow up supporting the team he played for? He did. He played for them as a professional, and then it's a business, so he moves to another club. Why would we... Why, why do they feel it's expected of them to behave in a certain way when there's, there is actually no emotional attachment? Their attachment was a professional one. Uh, Alison, sorry, but on, on Alex Song, just, when you said that, I did not know that he was yeah, a Liverpool fan when he was a kid. And I'm... I'm, well, a producer made us turn our phones off, so I can't go and check how old he is. But I'm guessing he's in his late twenties right now. No, mid twenties, Alex. Oh, he's not. That, he's not old. Is it oh, but no. Do you know why? But in fact, it must be because of Ridderbert. That must be why he supported Liverpool. It's not like does he'd have been a kid when they had like Oyvind Leonardson? Like he's not going to fall in love with with, with the. Oh yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's, there, there must, is that connection as well. Be, I don't it know. Must if, be because I don't think. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Sorry. There, sorry, there, sorry, there was know. an interesting one at the weekend, and, and if you follow Twitter with with the players, which I don't really follow too many players because what they tweet is, Aaron Cresswell for West Ham said it was a dream come true today to play against my boyhood team in Liverpool. You know, yeah, so believe it or not, there are people who who are in the mid twenties who grew up supporting Liverpool. I think we can say that. No, no, I, okay, but it's funny. But just can't just just Alex Song grew up in a different country. A lot of times, it's about you know you, you tend to fall in love with Champions League teams and whatever yeah. else. And okay, maybe it wasn't the best example. No, 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 no. That's a great example. Fascinating example. We've been able to talk about Ridderbert Song. And if any, <laughs> not just that, but if anything, it's it's, it's perhaps more genuine because. He fell in love with Liverpool when they weren't particularly good. So, uh, you know, more power to, uh, to Alex Song. Um, Do you think that he fell in love with them because Patrick Berger played a, a very similar role in terms of creative midfielder who didn't do any work at all? And that's what Alex Song has spent his, 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 career his entire <laughs> career trying to do. Uh, Patrick Berger had better hair than Alex Song. But, OK, can we get back to... Uh, there, there was a, a very important uh, Premier League game. Now, the refereeing, I think, hopefully, both we can all agree that both games Sunday had some questionable uh, officiating, perhaps the one at the King Power Stadium uh, more so. 
I, I was intrigued because I, I thought it was the, the Yaya Torre, the, the shot in Yaya Torre's arms come out. And I said, you're the qualified referee. I might be wrong on this one. But I thought when you go and you make yourself bigger in an unnatural way, which he did by turning his head and sticking his long arms out, and the ball hits you, um, it's a penalty. It's a handball. No, not, not necessarily. It depends how far away the arm is from the ball and how fast the action is and whether you feel it's a completely unnatural act to have your arm in the air at that you point. You didn't think Yayatori was somewhat unnatural in no, you don't. throwing his arms I out to the I, side? I think it's, a, it's getting slightly ridiculous now that we expect footballers to run around as though their arms are sort of slightly pinned to their He wasn't running, he was turning away from the ball. Or just move that way. You, 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 if you're an athlete, your arms are really important and they, you use them for balance. I just think it's ridiculous to expect in the penalty area of your arms never to be above your hips. And if the ball is hit in your direction and it's close enough for you to be unable to react with your arms whether deliberately to block it or to move out the way I don't I don't think it's so ridiculous that the referee wouldn't give it as a penalty probably the referee didn't see it because it was so fast and therefore th- it's not a penalty I think Alison's right generally that that we have got way too touchy about handball and this idea that as soon as anything happens in the box it has to be this that or the other it's really annoying but in this instance that was a penalty thank you so I win. <laughs> the, other, the other contentious thing was, was the Zabaleta-Diego Costa thing. Now, I have to say, I have a complete soft spot for, for Zabaleta. I think most people in the media do. We all really like him. I'm hoping that we can all agree that the first yellow probably shouldn't have been given. However, what got me is the second one, you know, you know you're on a yellow card. And the second one, what got me, though, was what happened afterwards. He tweets out apologizing. And then he tweets the picture of Diego Costa's hands around his neck. Now, anybody who sees the video, that still frame is actually pretty misleading because it looks like that looks like Diego Costa's choking him. In fact, his hands, as uh, as Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank put in a match of the day too last night, his hands basically are near his neck for for a split second or less than a second, as Jimmy put it. You a bit disappointed in Zaba there, anybody? Well, if, if, he, if he has actually gone through a slow frame reel and tried to pick out the one moment where he looks like the victim and then posted it, I, I find that utterly astonishing. What must have happened, I hope, is that someone sent him. Someone did that work. A City fan sent it to him and he thought, yeah, that's right, I was really hard done to. I'm going to put that up on Twitter. I sincerely hope he didn't really do any forensic investigation to put that up because that would be deeply sad. James, a fair result? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was a you know typical cagey game, wasn't it? I think it was probably a better result for Chelsea being away from home. They just looked so strong, Chelsea, for me. Yeah, and, I, and I think they've probably got an extra gear to go go into. Well, actually, that sets me up nicely for my next question, this whole big team, small team thing. Now, for those who missed it, afterwards, Pellegrini wasn't happy with the fact that Chelsea came, or he didn't, wasn't happy. He noted that Chelsea went there and really only defended and tried to hit on the counter, in, in his opinion. He made the comparison to Stoke, uh, which I thought was, uh, was a bit unfair on Stoke, actually, because I think you know, I don't think they're quite, quite like that. And then, as sometimes happens, Mourinho threw a little hissy fit and, uh, you know, mockingly called him Mr. Pellegrino. You know, whatever. I, I, I don't mind it. I think it's entertaining. It's funny. It's like professional wrestling. People say, oh, it's undignified. Well, you know, th- th- this is, you know, if, if, you, if you poke Mourinho with a stick, this is what you get. And sometimes it's, it's like, often it's what you get even when you don't poke him. Now, anybody have a problem with this or want to weigh in on this? Or? Yeah, I think it, I just, I can't believe he's saying it, Pellegrino. Who? Because 
he may as well just invite every team that comes to the Etihad to play in a certain way because he's, he's, he's letting everyone know it really irritates him and he doesn't know how to break it down. I, I agree with you on the tenor Mourinho, the sort of soap opera element of Mourinho is quite funny, but at the same time, there, uh, yeah, you don't want to sound like some sort of Victorian prude, but there is, there is a line to be drawn in terms of respecting your opponents and stuff. I'm slightly uneasy about getting the, the other manager's name wrong. That's quite disrespectful. The one thing I would say about Pellegrini is that w- w- at what point did football decide? Did everyone decide we all have to play football in exactly the same way? It's not anybody's responsibility. Is it Chelsea's responsibility to let Man-, Man City play their best game? Of course it's not. It's the same with the draft thing at West Ham. <laughs> it's not... The, the big teams have enough advantages. Obviously Chelsea are a big team as well. It is not Chelsea's job to come to the Etihad and think, right, let's allow Manchester City to play their wonderful, crafty, right. clever football. It's th- their job is to get a result of some sort. And they got that. I think Pellegrini complaining about that is... Was he complaining or was he noting was he noting the fact? No, I think he was. Compl- I think to compare them to a, to say that they played like a small team is to suggest that they some way kind of they they for, forwent their responsibility to entertain to to allow Man City to play and to be entertaining. That's rubbish. It's complete rubbish. And Pellegrini will know that it's rubbish. But why why was he surprised, Rory, when they did the exactly same last year? Went there and won one nil. Did, did he expect Chelsea to do something different? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think he's oh, just okay. disappointed that what, what Pellegrini wants, and it's this, there's lots of managers like that, is for teams to come and, and play football. Because if, if you go and try and go toe-to-toe with Man City, the chances are they will beat you. Not, funny, not necessarily with Chelsea, but most teams will go to the Etihad. If they try and play City properly, come out and play against them in an open game, they will lose to City are better than them. So nobody here wants to argue that there's an onus on... You know the, the whole park the bus thing. No, I think is, we've, I think we've we've, we've completely. Because of course, let's not forget that that's where the term comes from. Park, I mean, I mean, Mourinho introduced it into this country, complaining about another team. Yeah, do it years first, ago, do parking it, yeah. the bus against them. So, but that that's that that's the perfect example that managers complain about this stuff when it works against them. They are all happy to do it when when they have to. So, Man City will go to Barcelona or they'll go to Bayern Munich or wh- whatever at some point this season, and they will try and park a bus. And that's that is absolutely right that they should have to do that because they. Their job is not to be entertaining. It is definitely not to let the bigger team, the better team, play the, their natural game. Their job is to get a result. Football is not about whether we are entertained. That's, that's a secondary benefit. If we find it interesting, then great. Their job is to win football matches and to get results. And that's what Mourinho did. I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with the fact that when it happens to him, he resents it. I thought after Leicester United that Chelsea City was fantastic. Just finally, as our glorious leader Tony Evans has pointed out today, two teams who can defend. People seem, seem to not want to defend anymore. It's, it's a crucial part of the game. Football's boring. If, if there's eight goals in every game, it's boring. Maybe right. Pellegrini didn't mean any of it. Maybe it was just his way of comparing Chelsea to Stoke and he thought that might undermine them psychologically. And Tyler Blackett has been beaten here. Vardy is through. He's got a Ajoa in the middle. The challenge comes in. Oh, the referee's given another penalty. And he's reached for the red card. Blackett is off. It's a Ajoa for 5-3. Four goals in 20 minutes conceded by Manchester United. And the way that United have collapsed will be a source of enormous concern for Louis van Gaal. The King Power Stadium beckons. By the way, we went through this a few years ago. This is one of my pet peeves. I'm just going to make a brief detour on this. Anybody here know what King Power is? They, they work in, du- in the duty-free market. Yes. King Power is a chain of duty-free stores in Thailand. This is one of those weird sponsorship things that I really don't understand because, hey, unless you're in Thai, in a Thai airport, you can't actually go to a King Power shop, can you? 
I have an even better one. The people who sponsor Swansea, like Geox, Gwox, something like that, Ewoks, I don't know what they are. But they're like, it's like some sort of weird hedge fundy like financial firm. Who watches Swansea and thinks, oh, do you know what? But they look after my uh, my stocks well or whatever hedge funds. I don't know what hedge funds do. Um, I'm going to start with a positive. <laughs> my angel of the morning, Angel Di Maria. I, I, I love that goal. I don't know if it was even, with hindsight, that difficult. Can you just tell us technically how difficult was that? Because, I, I mean, I, it's obviously difficult for, for mere mortals, but... Somebody told me that, well, you know, if you're a professional footballer, like, yeah, you might try that and you might pull it. Well, have you ever pulled off anything like that? No. Have you thought of pulling off anything like <laughs> no. that? Have you played with anybody who's ever pulled off anything like that? No. What makes it so difficult? I'll tell you what makes it so difficult. It's not a chip, it's a scoop, and he does it on the run. So the timing to actually do that and to have the vision, if you look where Smichael is on his goal, he probably has about two feet between... Michael in the back of his net to get it so the execution is absolutely spot on to the to the millisecond of the timing of it comes off of his his boot it's a great goal I was at the game as well and he starts it if you actually it's not only the 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 scoop or the chip whatever you want to call it he starts it because he beats two players in the middle doesn't he and then plays it to Rooney so it's a wonderful goal by Di Mariana I think we'll see a few good goals from him for those who missed it uh, United went 2-0 up and then 3-1 up and then the bottom fell out now uh, James, you were there. It's quite well known that you happened to have uh, a certain simpatico for Manchester United. Did you see this coming? No. I was at um, Old really? Trafford. No, I didn't well, I didn't see that coming yesterday, 5-3. Uh, I was at Old Trafford the week before when they beat QPR, and everyone was raving about them. Uh, well, and they did, they did play well, but I felt they were wide open at the back, and you could just feel against a better team, they'd cause them problems, but not the collapse of yesterday. Well, being collapses, and well, first of all, Athens get this out of the way. I, I mean, nobody here, will, I presume, wants to argue that the the Raphael and Vardy call was correct. That Vardy actually fouls Raphael first, and then it's highly debatable whether when Raphael recovers, whether that's even a penalty. No, I, I, th- I, I know. I always try and play devil's advocate here. I think you could you could get the footage up and make a reasonable case for saying Clattenburg was not a disgrace in those instances because the first incident it's two players running for the ball and the the shorter flimsier one falls over that's not a foul well it is when the it's other guy goes and shoves them james you help me that you get close to the ball you get close to the ball you get close to the man and you want to you want to at the time at the time i felt it was a penalty and you? you could t- yeah at the time if, inside the stadium i'll tell you what happened he goes down the line and I, it looked a foul. It looked a foul on Raphael. The referee doesn't get it, but Raphael got up and he was so incensed it wasn't. You could just see there was going to be retaliation coming. Yeah. And I just said, "Don't foul him. Don't foul him." Listen, it's minimal contact, but you could see he's running back and he's fuming. And as soon as he's touched him, you just think he's going to give a penalty. But there. did he get the first one wrong? I think yeah, that, I did. Think yeah, that was a foul. yeah, that was a foul. Yeah, was, yeah. you guys are contradicting Alison okay. because, because there's a borderline, isn't there? There's all right, the nudge, but there's he's gone yeah. to officially knock him off the ball. Uh, just on. I think, what th- I think what Danny Murphy said on Match of the Day too. I never disagree with Danny Murphy about anything, was right. It, it's, it, looked, it was a really soft penalty, but you actually see them given quite a lot. It's not a, it wasn't a no. desperate surprise. The one thing I would say, uh, if that was English player found in Brazilian player, would we not be having a much bigger conversation about diving? Very the way true. Vardy went down. Yeah, it was a di- he dived. He dived. Vardy went down. Really? I don't, think you, I don't think you can say that. It massively footage. exaggerated the contact. Massively exaggerated. But if you, that's a foreign player, not me, does, I, well, I, I should, young. 
or Ashley Young, we go nuts about simulation, no question. But what he's done well, Roy, he's got his body in between Raphael and the ball, hasn't he? So he's almost tried to entice him into, into oh, yeah. the... Oh, yeah, it was a foul born of thickness by Raphael. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. I think you'd spot But James, James makes... The best point is, from Clattenburg's point of view, Clattenburg, as the referee, referees hate retaliation. Mm. And he could tell that, that the Raphael was slightly out of control in terms of... You could, you could just see the three defending. bars had come up in Raphael and he was so incensed that he didn't give the free kick that it was just a, ma- a moment of madness. Now, you can slow it down and think, watch it three or four times and think, well, it's actually not a penalty. But live, when you've got that split second to give the decision, I actually thought, well, that is a penalty. So many people said that that, that penalty was the turning point in the game. Now, I don't fully understand this because that penalty made it, made it 3-2. But United still went out there and conceded three more goals. I don't understand how you can be Manchester United be 3-2 up against a newly promoted side. The, the, the Clattenburg is not an out. It's not an excuse, is it, Roy? Not at all. No, I think it's, it's a, a, a function of the fact that we, that the risk of sound like Arsene Wenger. We live in a world where re- managers use a, any refereeing incident as, as an excuse, and it's become like a default reaction for fans, for players, for managers to say, well, the referee made a mistake, so everything else that happened is completely irrelevant. It all hinged on that mistake. And I think that's a really toxic way of approaching football. Yeah, it was a questionable decision. You, you, Alison's made a very eloquent case that, to suggest it, was, it wasn't it was as bad as, it, as everyone sort of seemed to say it was, but it was a questionable decision. From that point on, you're Manchester United, you do not throw three goals away. It's, to concede five at Leicester, whatever the circumstances, is ludicrous for Manchester United. And to be honest, like James says that he, he saw it coming, he didn't see it coming, but, and that's, that's absolutely right, I don't think anyone. I went out for a run when it was 2-1, and I came back, and it took me a long time to work out that it was 5-3, and then watched the game back later, Gab, obviously. If you listen to last week's podcast, I said they were going to lose 5-3 and win 4-2. That's exactly you, what they did. You look at that defence, and it's James Ducker in the papers re- compared them to Ardila as his Tottenham, and I think that's probably a decent shout. They're more Keegan's Newcastle. It's, they... they they will pay the price until January for failing to reinforce that defence because they are completely there for the taking know, at the back. But also, Roy, the system they play with the diamond leaves them very exposed at the back as well. And they play a diamond, they have two centre forwards on the pitch, they also have Rooney just behind them. So that's three players who look to get forward. Either side of the diamond, which is Hiera and Di Maria yesterday, they look to get forward. So that's great. And when the ball comes into the box, they'll score goals. And get, but if you lose the ball, you have a lot of players advance right. of the ball and you're back, back too because your full-backs are out wide as well are very, very exposed. Now, if your back two is Rio Ferdinand and Vidic, you can probably get away with that because they've got the experience to deal with it. But I, if you look at Tyler Blackett for the Vardy's goal, it goes straight over to, um, to the lad who then just slips it mm. into the space where he's come from. So there is that naivety at the back, but I also think this diamond that everybody's still playing, it's great going forward and you'll score goals, but I don't see Jose playing it at, at Chelsea. Do you not think as well the fact that Leicester... Leicester- you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Set up with three strikers. Vardy hadn't started a game. Nugent and Ojoa. They set up with three. That that is le- that's Nigel Pearson saying. I think Vardy might have said it in his interview after the game. That's Nigel Pearson saying we can get at these. We, we, we might concede a couple. No, but Vardy was, was was very insightful, wasn't he? You know, given that he hasn't a lot of Premier League experience, he, he, tactically he said yeah, we, we he, he well, basically right. just said what James yeah. has said. That, that so they're open. We're going to okay. go for it. How much of this is on the manager? Because we can blame Woodward for vastly overplaying and, and generally being a, you know, a sort of a shrimpy, not very clever guy at buying and selling players, and, whereas he's very good at sponsorships. And we can say, oh, look, Tyler Blackett's not very good and, and whatever else. And I've had my reservations about Dali Blind. You've got your, your reservations about, about Rojo. But ultimately, this is the manager who sets him up in this shape. And you expect them to have enough of a hold over the over the, the veteran player. I mean, afterwards he came out and he said, like, well, at three one up, you know, people were still trying to go and score goals. Well, first of all, Louis, a you're the prophet of attacking football. So if they're doing that, to some degree, they're learning it from you. But b you're the manager. You give instructions to your captain, to your leaders on the pitch, and you adjust. I mean, th- these are veteran players at Manchester United. They're they're not all teenagers, right? It's his team. It's the way he's set it up. You know, he's come in and tried three at the back. That hasn't really worked. Now gone to a, a different formation. Yeah, maybe it's too early to say if it, it's going to work. But based on yesterday, that hasn't worked either. So I think he has to take a lot of um, a lot of the blame. Now Van Hal, I thought he did well yesterday. He didn't blame the referee. He could have. A lot of managers would have said, "Well, the turning point was." I think he was penalty. embarrassed by what he saw. Yeah, but I, th- I thought he's very open and very honest. And I think what he does do. His shoulders of blame is big enough to think I'll take that and I'll take that away from my players. He's got a lot of new players there. What he wants to do is protect them, and I think going in there and saying, "I think that's good management." Really, isn't he, isn't he giving them the green light to do that all over no, again? But the, you know, they won't do that, and they'll, they'll hopefully. Why not? Why won't they do it? Because they'll work in training on that, and they'll go through the uh, the video analysis, and they'll look at that, and they'll look at the goals that they've conceded. No, my Manchester acquaintances were absolutely slaughtering Rooney. Um, you know, bad captain, shouting at his players and so on. Now, I thought that was a little bit unfair. I think putting Rooney in a position where he has to play behind two strikers like Falcao and Van Persie is a little bit unfair. Just because he thinks he's some kind of number 10 Zidane-like figure and because just because Sir Alex played in midfield when everybody was crocked doesn't mean he's actually good at that job. To what degree is there a Rooney issue here, Rory? And to what degree, actually... Are Van Persie and Falcao a viable partnership together when both often produce the best when they're on their own up front? The one thing I would say about United so far this season is that the results and the problems they've got, the criticism essentially of the club in the transfer market, which is that 
that the the squad is in balance. So they they tried the three five two, and they actually they did, they looked defensively moderately secure in three five two, but they they don't have any creative ability whatsoever. They then go to this diamond where they have loads of creative power but no defensive security. That's the, the that's emblematic of a, of a of an unbalanced squad. In terms of Rooney, I think Van Gaal has to make a choice and I think he's trying to avoid it. They have signed Falcao. They didn't need Falcao. Do you think Van Gaal wanted Falcao or do you think this is some kind of Woodward flight of fantasy? I would love to know the answer to that question. I don't know. I don't see. I, d- I don't quite get how Van Gaal would have looked at They've Falcao committed such an enormous amount of money to this guy in wages, in terms of, again, because there's no transparency in football, we don't know if they actually have committed to signing him next year and in what terms. I've heard so many conflicting things. I, I really wonder, is this the kind of choice that Van Gaal would have made? Possibly. I don't know the answer to that. But I think the, in, in terms of Rooney, to answer your question... Whether, well, whether Van Persie and Falcao are a, a partnership that can work, I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe both quality players, obviously, so could do. In terms of Rooney, Rooney claimed, what, last week that he was going to be a midfielder in two years' time? When his legs go. He's decided that his best position is in behind as a number 10. He said last year that he was a, a centre-forward. He was definitely number nine. There is, yeah, I, I don't want to use the word delusional, but Wayne Rooney does seem to be of the view that he is the world's greatest in several positions. I think there is a, he's suffered a little bit in recent years because he's been asked to play a lot of different roles, um, and that might maybe has blunted his edge as a, as a number nine. Wayne Rooney's not sure what his best posi- position is, and I'm inclined to agree with him. I'm not sure what his best position is either. James, are you on the Rooney debate? Do, do, do you drop Rooney? Do you, do, do no, I would have. Um, I thought Van Gaal bottled it a little bit yesterday by leaving matter out i would have put rooney and um falcao up top together i'd have dropped van percy who um handsome robin you would have dropped who did okay yesterday obviously scored his goal first goal of the season but was anonymous last year hasn't really done a lot this year either it just feels to me like like van Gaal, and it seems weird for a manager who is so decisive that he felt right. We've dropped Falcao. We've dropped Van Persie. We've dropped Rooney. They've all got to play. Matter played really well against QPR, but he has to be. For some reason, he was the, the one who was sacrificed. That makes no sense because he's the least athletic of the front. Line. Or is it because he's the least kind of immediate, the least important to the the least authoritative at the club? I don't know. We need to to to, to, to say something about Nigel Pearson. We we. we praised him a little bit before I like him because he's probably the tallest manager in the uh, in the Premier League and he's uh, is there somebody I'm forgetting looking at me quizzically tallest player no is he not who's, who's the tallest manager Arsene Wenger oh Wenger is tall and he, he, and he em- likes to emphasize okay. that who would you rather by wearing very, very small shorts <laughs> okay. Pochettino Pochettino. Yeah, Pochettino is quite big Ronald okay. Koeman okay, excuse he me excuse me oh, yeah, he's, no, he's, he's, o- he's over 6 foot is Pochettino no, he's not. He is. He is. He's no, he's not. Who would you rather have no, in not. a street fight, Nigel Pearson <laughs> or Arson freaking Wenger, okay? And I'll leave it at that. No, but I... I just saw Leicester once last season, and that was when they played Fulham in the uh, League Cup. And what they showed then was they could go behind, they could they could be overrun, they could be outpassed. And it didn't seem to bother them, and they just... They just kept going. Their fitness levels and their attitude was astonishing. You, you, could, you, could, you could touch the optimism in that place. And I just thought, wow, if they could keep that going in the Premier League and not be cowed by the fact they're in the Premier League and feel they have to be different and too pragmatic in a way. And they have kept it going. There is incredible spirit amongst the team. I, probably of all the teams in the Premier League at the moment, they have the most self-belief. And it's not arrogance and it's not stupidity and it's not misplaced. They have... They have pace and they have no. people who can finish and they have people who can get in a good cross. It's just 
it's just lovely, I think, that they have moved from one division to another and not, dis and not felt they can't be themselves. They have, st they have stayed true to what got them promoted, which a lot of teams don't do, or if they do do it, they just look stupid trying to, trying to do so. I, I, I can't speak for what they were like last year because I don't watch the championship, but I saw Leicester play against Chelsea uh, this year and I was so impressed um, in, in the first half. The second half, they, they totally fell apart. But when they were in the game, there's an organization there, an intelligence, and I'm looking at these guys and I'm like, you know, just drink water, what are we kidding here? But, but no, and this is a classic case where they, they execute well and, and, and they more than hold their own. And I think... You know, so far, they've only lost once so far this season. Yeah, I, I've been really impressed with, uh, with with Pearson. I wonder if this is another case where, you know, this is another guy who's maybe been a little bit overlooked over the years, maybe because of. Well, he, ne he nearly got the sack from Leicester eighteen months ago because they were the season before last top, running away with it, and then the wheels came off at the end of the season. They blew it, Leicester. Right. If you can remember, they um, yeah, and they also outspent everybody. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, and and he at the maybe 14 months ago it was is he going to stay and obviously well it was justified he did a great job last year and I, I think he's doing a fantastic job right moving on to our debate this week basically the last time greg dyke's uh commission which includes our our friend danny mills came up with uh, with a bunch of suggestions it was the b teams and they made a big deal out of presenting it then everybody said they were absolute rubbish and then they sort of went away um now this time i kind of think like they said, all right, let's do this really quietly so nobody notices in case everybody says that it's rubbish again and hurts our feelings. I'm not going to come out and, and, and say it's rubbish. But I want to hear what you people have to think. Is it really worth going, and given that there are so few non-EU players, is this whole thing with a new system of who gets a work permit and all this jazz, is this really worthwhile? It's typical to mindocracy, isn't it? It's taking a, a relatively small, taking an area where there is a large problem, focusing in on a tiny, tiny part of it that you can actually change, that's easy to change, and then saying, oh, look, we're solving it. The, he's, yeah, they probably should tighten up the work permit regulations. It is ridiculous that you can go and get all these non-EU players. There's like 120 in, in, in England, I think, a lot of whom are, a bizarre amount of whom are in the championship. And you can go and you take like a video and you, you, you chief scout and you say, well, actually, look, he can cross the ball and he can do this, this and this. And nobody in England can do that. And the, the, the people on the, I don't know, whoever, the immigration panel go, all right, then fine. The problem with English football is not the non-EU players. The problem with English football is that the vast number of EU players that they can do nothing about as far as they're concerned, certainly nothing easy about. This is... This Thank is, you, Mr. Farage. No, I mean, it's, I mean, I am, you know, a devout UKIP promoter, but um, no, that's not true. No, th th that is the issue, that you can bring in as many, not, as many EU players as you like, and no one is prepared to, to say, maybe we need to make an exception for football, and no one is prepared to say that that is the, that perhaps that there should be restrictions on the number of players not born in this country, that you, need, that you can play in a game if you want to bring young players through. Now, maybe you don't want to bring young players through, so you're not bothered, but they will not be helped by a slight tweak to the admittedly loose work permit so do you, regulations. do you accept the basic principle, Rory, that if you were able, for, for some reason, to completely restrict uh, non-EU and EU players coming into this country, that would automatically mean young English players would improve? It wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't make them. Wouldn't make those English players improve, but it would provide far more chances for the. I think there's plenty of good players. In the academies, I think there are there are an abundance of good players in the academies. If you flip through the, the academies of the major clubs, there is no shortage of talent. I think the problem comes at 18, 19 when they cannot play first team football. They have to drop down to the championship, 
or to, or to lead one or lead two, they then get sort of tarred with the brush of being a championship player. The big clubs won't take a risk on them. I think there is a, a fallacy that there is a shortage of talent in this country. I don't think that's true. I think there is a shortage of opportunity. If you, if you approach the debate from there being a shortage of talent, then yes, bringing in quotas and restrictions has no effect at all. If you accept that the, all that's lacking is opportunity, then that is the solution, or, it's part, or certainly part of the solution. James, you work with kids at a, uh, at a club in the championship. Is Rory right? I mean, do you, do you do, does does your own club? And yeah, I'm going to ask you to to say nasty things about your boss now. Do they say, "Oh no, look, we we've got this very talented 19 year old Englishman, but let's go and sign some turd from the EU and play him instead"? Um, I think Rory is is right. There's some fantastic players in these uh, Premiership academies. I was actually at Carrington in the week and took an hour out and watched the Manchester United's 13s, 14s, and 15s train, and and the talent they had was was absolutely superb. But you know the chances of them ever getting into Manchester United's first team is is very few and far between. Unless you are super super talented, it is very very hard to come in and just hit the ground running straight away. You need probably twenty to thirty games to get up to the level of where the Premier League is and to the the, the pace of the game, the setup, the approach, the playing in front of the crowds, playing in front of people like you slagging people off on a Monday morning. <laughs> this, that, and the other. Oh, yeah, if you look at Tyler Blackett yesterday, I think Tyler's a, a good player, he's a good prospect, but some should of the mistakes he made last... Should you know, he be playing for Manchester United at this age or is he better off gaining experience somewhere else? But Roy makes a very good point. If he then goes into the Championship, you then adapt to the Championship level where you then, if you... So, so say he goes and plays... 40 games for Ipswich Town, I'm sure he'd do okay, and I'm sure. It, but then if he goes back to Manchester United, he's then got another massive hurdle to climb. So he's got to play in, the, well, I would say the top half of the Premier League, but not at the moment. And if you look at the the way he brought Vardy down for the penalty, that's just inexperience. Right, I, don't, so I don't think anyone's going to write an essay on how the treatment of Tyler Blackett has been correct in any way over the last no, four weeks. It's been ridiculous. I, I think the, the answer is the opposite of what. Dyke is suggesting and it's reciprocity which is why don't we if you're going to import you have to export the same number of players you're only allowed to take mm-hmm. you're only allowed to take in x number of EU x number of non-EU if your youth teams then go out to these places who are apparently producing players that are ready made for the Premier League I mean if they're doing it right, the best way to learn is to send your kids out there and also I do not like emotionally the idea of reducing the number of players from all over the globe not I want I want them to be in the Premier League also do I you think sorry Gab the problem is that the Premier League is actually probably one of this country's greatest exports at the moment you know the way it's it's a worldwide yeah. product and this that and the other that and Strictly other, Dancing yeah true and yet, and yet we're very insular at the same time we're a great export but we're insular why yeah, don't why, I, why, why when you're 16 can't you go out to ah two very interesting examples of that just so I, I think that the youth, the youth element is only part of it. I think the, there are other problems with the number, getting the number of English players through. The things like the English tax in the lower leagues, the amount the, lower, the clubs in the lower leagues charge for their players is extraordinary and it's not a help. Danny Collins and I think it's Kevin Danso, who are both members of the England under-17 side. Did you say Danny Collins? Collins, yeah, not Collins. Collins with a G-E on the end. Who's a bit like Danny Collins, the, the West Ham defender, but younger, have both gone to Germany. Collins is at Stuttgart, uh, Danzo's Isn't that at James Augsburg. Collins, the West Ham defender? Danny Collins was at Stoke? Oh, and he, well, they're, you know, whatever. Right. Collins is at Stuttgart, Danzo's at Augsburg, I think. And they, they, they're both at MK Dons, both very highly rated, and they've gone to Germany. That If these countries can produce players, then why aren't English kids. We, the, the, the thing that I have, a, the biggest problem with of all of it, is foreign kids in academies. Right. Well, 
to, to, to wrap this up, I will repeat my solution, which I've blogged about, which I've written to Greg Dyke about, which I've told Danny Mills about. Is this your Serie B, B solution? Mm, what's, it's actually, in Italy, it's done in Lega Pro, but um, I think it's done intelligently, could have a huge impact here. There are some clubs in the championship in League One who simply want promotion, and they don't really care about, um, uh, about growing their own talent. They ought to be free to continue doing that. Uh, there are other clubs who have good academies, uh, and good academies cost money. Simple solution is lower-level clubs are subsidized by the Premier League. Right? They keep crying, we don't have any money, but no. But they get money from the Premier League in solidarity payments, and they get some TV money, right? Why don't we take part of that TV money, put it in a big pot, and incentivize clubs that play English or British or wherever you want to you set the bar, players who are under a certain age so that if I'm Ipswich Town and I'm spending three million pounds on my academy a year, most of it on James Cocroft's uh, wages, I can actually get a benefit from believing in my own youngsters and playing them. Enough of this nonsense. Time now for some quick hits. Diamond versus Diamond at Upton Park, and Stuart Downing runs rampant against Stephen Gerrard as West Ham win 3-1. Roy, if it's that simple, Downing is a tip of the diamond, why did it take so long for folks to figure it out that if you play him there, he contributes, and he's no longer the butt of jokes? Stuart Downing is a better footballer than people think he is. He is a better footballer than Ashley Young. He is... Also, uh, the problem with him, I think, is that his, his, his confidence. I think that at times he doesn't quite believe that he's of able to, to live with uh, live with the very top level. Uh, the uh, the bitter thing from that example, though, is the ease with which Steven Gerrard was bypassed by West Ham's midfield. James, I need to ask you because you're not a Liverpool fan and therefore entirely objective. Is it time to sound the alarm bells? What's Rogers doing wrong? He's not winning. Oh, sorry. And would you swap your club's future for Liverpool's future? No. All right. Go on. <laughs> well, he's not winning games of football, is he? That, that's what he's doing wrong. Um, uh, listen, if you look at Liverpool last season, the two, st- well, one standout player, Suarez, they've also lost Sturridge. You take those two away from last season, I don't think they'd have got anywhere near where they finished. And those two aren't there. You're right. And it's not like he spent a hundred and odd million pounds on new exactly. players over the summer. So they've got, to, they've got to be careful. They don't do what Tottenham did. It looks like they might follow suit at the moment, doesn't it? Papi Cisse comes on and scores twice as Newcastle come behind to snatch a point against Hull. Allison, this is papering over the cracks, isn't it? And whatever you do in your answer, please do not call Alan Pardew a broken man or you'll end up like your fellow blonde, Robbie Savage. <laughs> I don't think... Pardew looks like a broken man at all. Um, he's, sh- he's shown remarkable resilience uh, with lots of negative publicity and the fans having their various um, outbursts. It, this could be the turning point. Newcastle can play nice football. I don't see any reason why, why, why it, it couldn't prompt a slight upturn in fortunes. And if that's, if that's what happens, he might well stay in the job. Two defeats in a row for Tottenham Hotspur, this time away to West Brom. Rory, they looked awful. Do you want to make excuses for your mate and my mate, Pochettino, or do you want to show Alan Irvine, the very unloved Alan Irvine, and maybe Julian Lescott some respect? Yeah, really important result for West Brom, because I was starting to worry about them fairly deeply. Uh, Lescott always looked like it would be a really intelligent sign. He's one of those that's written off because he, he isn't kind of one of the world's greatest defenders, and so everyone, even fans of clubs who are much worse than Man City, who don't ever have any chance of getting one of the world's greatest defenders they think oh no he's he's not good enough for us uh, I think Spurs will be fine it'll take Pochettino a little bit of time 
bear with him. He's an excellent manager. Crystal Palace win at Everton, who have the worst defence in the Premier League. Indeed, between uh, Pearson, Irvine and Warnock, that's three British bosses humiliating fancy Dan foreigners. James, do you feel like gloating on behalf of your countrymen? No, but it would be nice, wouldn't it? One swallow doesn't make a summer. Um, but I think it is, you know, we talk about players not getting a chance. There's certainly a, a blockish of um, English coaches coming up and working at the very elite level. So it would be nice to see some English coaches and managers win games of football in the Premier League. Always nice to see. Uh, we don't normally talk about the championship on here, but uh, Felix Magath is gone from Fulham. And Alison, I got up early to watch my buddy Neil Custis on Sunday Supplement, and you told some funny stories about him, uh, Magath, not Custis. Care to share some of them here? Maybe the cheese one? Yeah. Um, no, Magat arrived and we knew his nickname was Saddam. It turned out his nickname should have been Edam because he believes in the healing power of cheese. <laughs> and when Breda Hangelen had a knee leg problem, he went out to Tesco. Uh, well, he ordered someone to go to Tesco, buy some cheese, stick it on his leg overnight. It would, um, it would miraculously pull out the poison and make him better. You couldn't make it up. It's true. Yeah, Paris Saint-Germain played Lyon at the weekend. I guess it was another straightforward win, right? I'm guessing from the way that that's phrased that it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be correct, Rory. No, it was, it was anything but. Um, they took the lead and then this team just simply cannot defend. They, they cannot hang on to leads. In the end, it was a draw. But uh, storm clouds gathering over um, Laurent Blanc. L'Equipe did this big uh, expose where they talk about the, the squad is split and the French players are jealous of all the, the supposed privileges that Slatan enjoys. Uh, obviously, they didn't play well in the Champions League in midweek. Nasser Al-Khalifi did not come out to uh, speak to the media, which um, apparently he never does, uh, meaning he never not comes out. Uh, and so people took that as a sign that maybe Mr. Blanc is in trouble, which uh, I'm not his biggest fan, but it seems a bit absurd to me at this stage. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes or if you own something called an Android phone, you might want to subscribe via Play FM. Please do so immediately. Many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, Rory K. Smith, and the very excellent James Scowcroft, who traveled in all the way in from East Anglia. Is that right? Suffolk. That's far, right? That's in East Anglia. <laughs> okay, that's relative to where you guys live. That's far, right? It is far, yes. Thank you. Well worth it, though. Uh, check out thetimes.co.uk. Members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free. Nothing quite like cricket highlights. Uh, you can get all this as part of your subscription. Not a member yet? Take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Time Sport online. We're going to be here next week. Hope you will too. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash commentcentral and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.